Amen. Never forget the uh, time you were sinking and drowning in sin. You got to hear the gospel, and uh, boy, I'm thankful that someone shared the gospel with me. And uh, the last verse that says that we ought to be sharing the gospel with others. Amen. And I hope you're already praying and seeking the Lord about how He can help you this year in 2024. Uh, get somebody who is now currently not in church and reach them to be in church. Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. That my house may be full is what Jesus said. And I uh, hope that's your objective and your heart uh, this year. I believe God's leading us in that direction as a church. And uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to do through your life uh, this year. <clears throat> you say, God could never use me in that way. And I, I beg to differ I believe God can use you in a great and mighty way this year to see somebody who's not saved get saved, to see somebody who's not uh, on God's agenda for their life, help them get on God's agenda for their life. And uh, boy, you can make a huge impact on somebody's life. So looking forward to that. Amen. All right, well, we're starting a new uh, series here tonight, and uh, Sunday nights have become, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, just kind of a different service. Uh, more of a family service and more oriented towards uh, teaching more than it is a normal book verse by verse preaching. Uh, although probably do some of that on Sunday night too, um, say it this way, it's kind of our versatile service where we kind of uh, do what we're going to do and just have a good time doing it. And so we're going to start a, a shorter series here. It'll be about nine lessons or so long, uh, sermons, whatever you want to call it there, uh, about Baptist distinctives, Baptist history. Uh, and just about uh, what I've entitled here, Why I'm a Baptist. <clears throat> and being able to answer that question, I have someone ask, well, uh, why do you go to a Baptist church that you be able to answer that question? And uh, also to be able to answer the question along the lines of what, what is our stance and direction? A directionless church is one that's just drifting on the sea and is going to wind up uh, shipwrecked uh, in our day and age. So I feel like this gives us some... Um, uh, bearing and direction and uh, helps you understand kind of where our church has been and where we're heading Amen. in, in regard to uh, being Baptist. And so i uh, sure excited about doing this. So i got a, uh, some notes here tonight. So boys, y'all go forth and uh, pass those out and get those going. I guess we could have had you do that a second ago uh, as we got going on this. And uh, looking forward to, again, uh, getting into uh, this series, believe it'll be a help and a blessing. Okay, so this is uh, going to be lesson number uh, one, which I've entitled just here tonight, Baptist, or it might be called uh, an overview of uh, the series uh, here this evening. And so we're going to be in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18 uh, by way of starting. So if you, as you're getting the notes there and things, uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. <clears throat> Are you tapped out, Nate? Are you almost tapped out? Okay. If you didn't get one, go on the printout. This is what happens to me. I look at our number this morning and I'm like, okay, we were a little down, still got sickness and people that still hadn't gotten back in town. So I only need this many tonight. Oh, me of little faith. That's how that happens. And so... Uh, if you didn't get one, I apologize. We'll get one to you here uh, directly. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. If you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand together. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. 
Matthew 16 and verse number 18. This has become a, a rather uh, famous verse. <clears throat> and it says this, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Speaking of the church. The verbiage that's used here in this language, uh, in this verse, is this. You're Peter. Don't forget that. Because on this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church. Unfortunately, there's a group out there that thinks he's building the church on Peter. And what a terrible foundation. Have you studied the life of Peter? <laughs> uh, I'm thankful in this verse, if you look at the context, so it's very clear that he's letting Peter know, you're Petros, the little stone, and upon this rock, the boulder that is Jesus Christ, I will build my church. And on that foundation, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Right? So we're going to look at here tonight uh, this idea of a New Testament church and why uh, we're Baptist. Amen. So may God bless you even as word. You could be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures uh, here tonight. Over the last few decades, it's become increasingly popular to remove the distinction Baptist from church names, church material, and even doctrinal stances. Um, if not the name being removed altogether and completely, uh, there's become a growing trend to make it about the smallest font you possibly can uh, on a church sign. So it might uh, even be this is such and such church, uh, a Baptist persuasion or something, and it'll be some small print that's there. And uh, the, the main reason, just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, there's a trend for this, and there's a lot of reasons that are propagated but I'll just be honest with you, one of the main reasons that's mentioned is because people believe, <clears throat> should the offensive name Baptist be wiped off of the sign, that people then would feel more comfortable attending the services. And there have been uh, surveys and stuff that's been done on that. And actually, most of the people that were surveyed, I think it was 2% cared about what the, was on the sign or what the name of the church was. You know what the number, there are two of the number two, top one and two reasons why somebody who is unchurched actually attends a church service or somebody who doesn't know the Lord actually attends a church service. Anyone take to guess what one of the top two reasons are, Ms. Penny? Yes, uh, personal invitation is by far the number one. It's like 60 some odd percent of why somebody who doesn't attend church has a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor that they've developed a relationship with that says, come to church with me. And that person goes to that church and they could care less whether it's a Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or whatever season or flavor it is. They just know the person and that's why they wind up going there. Uh, the second one <clears throat> is actually has to do with the person who's preaching. Uh, so the secondary reason, the, the number two reason was who the speaker was, that somebody, if they went there, they looked online and heard who it was and said, I want to listen to that guy, <laughs> they went there. And that's kind of a scary thought on my end on that. But I, that was like 20 some odd percent. Everything else was very small percentages. The name of the church usually was very insignificant unless somebody already was in church and already knew, I'm a Baptist, so I will go to a Baptist church. 
but somebody who's unchurched, and, and that is the lie that's been peddled. We drop the name, and that'll make it more inviting for people who aren't in church and that are out there. <clears throat> now, why is this a trend, though? As I already mentioned, probably one of the main reasons is out there is that. Uh, is this something that our church should consider? Now, honestly, uh, I am, I'm an individual uh, who has always been of the persuasion, I don't do things because it's always been done or because it's tradition. If I say this, I want to land where God lands in the Bible and be very clear on that. Now, again, I don't want to move any old landmarks or make any shifts on a quick thing and do anything. But I will say this, if we come to the conclusion that God's Word says to do something other than what has been done, then let's do what God's Word says and move in that direction. That, that's good wisdom uh, to abide by there. So, let's say this, is it something our church should consider? I mean, if there's good reason why, because there's nowhere in the Bible where it literally dogmatically says, if your church doesn't have XYZ in its name, then you cannot be there, right? And churches have not always been called Baptists. That's only been a few hundred years, right, that there's been the name Baptist before that. Uh, Anabaptist and Walgensies and Albigensies and whatever you want. There have been different names throughout the year. But I will say this, uh, the more I study it, the more I become confirmed in my heart that we don't need to change or move from that position of having Baptist in our name. But you asked a question there. Will it really make any difference to the masses, the experts, uh, Saul would say, our tend to our church if we took the name down? And as I've already said, it, it probably wouldn't. Now, we hope to answer all these questions and more over the next few weeks as we exam, examine here Baptist distinctives, where we say this, how are Baptists different from every other church that's out there? Okay. And Baptist history. We're going to be heavy on the side of Baptist distinctives, what makes us distinct from other groups. But there will also be some flavor or some seasoning of some Baptist history, which is where did we come from? And is this a history to be proud of? Because there are some histories that are not worthy to be proud of. <clears throat> Catholic Church. Okay, nobody said that, but maybe somebody did. Come on now, if, if I were a Catholic and I knew my history, I would be rather ashamed of that. If, if you know the history of the Catholic Church, church, if you want to use that term that's there, that they have been known for silencing the scriptures, burning people at the stake, and all kinds of crazy stuff. I wouldn't be proud of it. But is there a heritage of Baptists that we can look back over the years and say there's something to be proud of, of that name? And, and I will say there is, absolutely. Okay. So this evening we're going to do a brief overview of the study and get our bearings as we move forward uh, with this study. So the first thing we're going to talk about here is called church perpetuity. Now, by church perpetuity, we simply mean this. Perpetuity defined is this, an endless duration, continuance to eternity, continued uninterrupted existence. So when we say, we're going to do this in perpetuity, what we mean by that is we're going to do this and we're going to continue to do it. It's, not, it's going to be an unceasing thing that we're just going to continue to do until we decide to do something different or until Jesus comes. So we're in perpetuity. Okay? So you understand if you use that language, in perpetuity, you're saying, all right, we're doing this and we don't need to revisit it. It's just going to continue as it has been. So when we're talking about church perpetuity. We're talking about that Jesus started a church. We read about it there in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus began the church and he said this, it would have perpetuity. 
it would continue on and be unceasing and would continue and the gates of hell would not have victory or would not prevail over it. So we understand, according to Jesus' words, there would always be a Bible-believing New Testament church that would always exist, a local New Testament church that would always exist. So what we mean by church perpetuity is that it would continue on. So what is the, uh, the common belief that's out there? Now, we'll talk about a, a kind of a negative one here first, which is this, the Protestant view. Now, if you've ever uh, served in the military or been asked by somebody, they're going to ask you if you're a Christian, which one are you? Are you Catholic or are you Protestant? To which the good Baptist response is, Neither. <laughs> and so let me give you some explanation of what we mean by that here. So most people believe that Christianity is divided into two groups, Catholics and Protestants. And by Protestant, they mean everything that's not Catholic. That's the general term that they would like to use. Now, the word Protestant came from those who protested against the Catholic Church at the close of the Dark Ages. With men, with men such as Martin Luther and the Catholic Church being the one they protested against. So if you remember, Luther uh, on October 31st goes and he nails on the door of the church there, the Catholic Church, he nails on the door a list of grievances of the church of why he no longer can support or be a part of the Catholic Church. And he formally protests against it. Now through that period... Uh, obviously is where you have a lot of people that are being put to death and silenced and people that now are having the Bible where they'd never had it before in print in their language and the Catholic Church absolutely lost their mind. But from that is where Protestant churches came from is where there were those who were part of the Catholic Church that protested against the Catholic Church and then came out of it. Okay, So from that, which if you start to look at church history, you'll find uh, lots of groups like, you know, the, the Methodists and the Episcopalians and all the other groups and individuals that are out there that trace their roots back to the Catholic Church, protested, and then came out and thus became Protestants. Now, this view teaches that the church was, quote-unquote, lost for a period of time, disappearing during the Dark Ages and then being found or reappearing in the Reformation, or this period of time where they're reforming the Catholic Church and making it what God wanted it to be again. That's what the Reformation would teach. And protesting against the established church or the Catholic Church. Now, we do not believe this, okay? And hold to the biblical truth, which is important, because we, we just read in the Scripture, there's other Scriptures that we can look at as well, is that Christ said there would always be a good New Testament church that existed. Does that mean that during the Dark Ages it was few and far between? Possibly. Uh, we have a lot of history of people, uh, our, actually our Baptist heritage, that we can look back during the Dark Ages that there were people who believed in salvation by grace, baptism by immersion, things that we're going to talk about as Baptist distinctives, right? Uh, that believed in, in the Trinity, in the virgin birth, in the, the actual bodily resurrection of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Things that we hold as absolute doctrines of the Scripture, 
That I'll, I'll tell you, there are all, there's a lot of groups out there that don't believe those even to this day. That do not believe them uh, in one form or another. And so we say this, has there always been a church that believed true and right doctrine, believed the Bible as the final authority, and believed salvation by grace alone? Yeah, there always has been. So that means we can't fall into this fallacy that the church was somehow lost. There were no good churches for hundreds of years. And then all of a the sudden there's this reformation and now we have good churches again. And the Baptists somehow were born out of that. So we would say to the question, is this what we mean by perpetuity? And the answer is no. So what do we mean by Baptist perpetuity? What do we mean by perpetuity in regard to being a Baptist? Well, first, again, let me talk about what we don't mean. Okay? What we don't mean is apostolic succession. Now, don't get lost. I'm going to use some big words, but we'll explain them here. Okay? <clears throat> now, apostolic succession here, this is what's claimed by the, the Pope uh, of the Catholic Church, which would be this. Peter was the first Pope. And then after Peter, there was another one, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And there's just been one pope after the other, after the other. And now the pope is like the apostles were under Jesus, and everything he says is divine. If you were a Catholic, you would have to believe, based on their doctrine, that what the pope says is more important than what the Bible says. Now that's become problematic with the most recent pope that's in office. We can go ahead and call it that. Because he's saying some things that are quite contradictory to the history of the Catholic Church and of the Scriptures. Amen. Quite outlandishly so. And so that becomes problematic. But that is what some people believe is that the church always has existed through men or apostles. And it's been passed from one vicar or one head to the next. We don't mean that. Okay, That's not what we're talking about when we mean succession. We also don't mean this, an, an identifiable, unbroken chain of churches. If you're going to look for that, good luck. <laughs> um, history just is not that kind to us to have that record. Now, there is a good book. J.M. Carroll wrote a book, Trail of Blood. I think there maybe is some liberties taken in that book, but it'd be worth a read. It's a little bitty pamphlet book that talks about how you can trace the Baptist history through different groups. But if you want to take Bible Baptist Church and say Bible Baptist Church was started out of this church and then that church was started out of this church and that church was started out of that church and go all the way back to the disciples, you can't do it. There's just not that good of history. Let's be honest, sometimes even in the lifespan of one New Testament church, there's not a good history. At Faith Baptist, the church, while I was there, we celebrated 50 years uh, in its existence, and a lot of people didn't even know a lot of the history of where the church got started from, and a lot of the hit we had really broken history even within a 50 year span. Okay, uh, churches are notorious for not keeping good history books sometimes, and so if you're looking for that, that's not what we mean by Baptist perpetuity is that you're going to be able to trace a perfect line or lineage all the way back. And then also, the third thing is this the perpetuity of the name Baptist. If you want to go back, and try to find the name Baptist back in first century Christianity, you won't find it. Okay? Uh, the, the church at Corinth, as much as we like to joke about it, was not the first Baptist church of Corinth, right? They weren't using that terminology then as far as identifying churches uh, by a, a term, an identifying term. 
and so again, <clears throat> J.M. Carroll, his book, Trail of Bloods, would be helpful in this, where you can go back and you can find where Baptist used to be called Anabaptist, and before that there was a group called the Waldenses, the Algenses, and you can go back and find that there have been groups, although not Baptist in name, have been Baptist in doctrine, right? Okay, so you can do that and see that there have always been individuals and groups that have had Baptist doctrine. So what do we mean? <clears throat> what we mean by Baptist perpetuity is this. By Baptist perpetuity, we mean uh, <clears throat> there has never been a day since the organization of the first New Testament church by the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles in which there was no genuine New Testament church existing on the earth. And that's a quote from Robert Sargent's uh, book about Baptist distinctives. So what we simply mean is this. There's never been a calendar day that has existed since Jesus established His New Testament church with His disciples. Didn't start on the day of Pentecost, started when He called His disciples. There has not been a day where there hasn't been a true Bible-believing New Testament church. So that's what we mean by Baptist perpetuity. So let's give some scriptural truth on this, okay? So it's one thing for us to say that, but let's see if there's some scripture that backs up that that would be the truth or that would be the idea behind it, okay? So the New Testament has only one kind of church. And it is the true church that is clearly taught as always being present on this earth till Jesus comes. So again, let me just present this. Uh, we've already read Matthew 16, 18 there. If you've, if you've got a set of notes there. Did we get notes to everyone now, Kyson? Notes to everybody? Good, good. Okay. So Matthew 16, 18, you've got a list of other verses right there in your notes. You can kind of just follow along with these as well. Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 18, 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, <clears throat> tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And we believe that is a great commission that was given to the New Testament church. Not to the disciples or else it would have died with them. Jesus gives it to his church. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. Again, an ordinance that was given to the church. We believe it's a church ordinance of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. The idea again there is baptism is another church ordinance. When a person gets baptized, they become a part of this body. We don't have a segregated body in Bridgeport where there's this side of the church and that side of the church, right? East church, West church, this race church, that race church says there's one body. There's not a Jew and a Gentile one, okay? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, growing into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians again was dealing with rift in the church between Jew and Gentile, 
Paul here encourages them, hey, Jesus established his church and now there's this church in Ephesus. You're being built up on that. You have a New Testament church here and there's not this division that's in it. You're one New Testament church. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Ephesians 5.27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. 1 Timothy 3, 1-13. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith. And of course, he goes on about there. And at the end of it, of course, he talks about that this is all about the church, the offices of the church, two offices of the church, pastor and deacon. Now, what we see here in the New Testament is an explanation of a church that Jesus established and he gives, uh, not only establishes and defines what the church is, but talks about it as these local New Testament organizations that would be around in perpetuity. I mean, why else would you give all of these verses and all these explanations about all these things of ordinances and offices and functions? Because here's the thing, Jesus died for his church. He loves the church. And every time you see a church of the New Testament, it is a local, organized, visible New Testament church that is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And so, based on the scriptural evidence is this, there has always been that type of a church. Jesus started it that way. We have New Testament example of that. And throughout the ages, there have always been churches who have practiced and followed these things. Okay? So, there are three areas of Baptist distinction. So we're going to kind of talk about some of these as we go through our series here. The first one is this, a historical distinction. A historical distinction. As stated, as stated before, we're not Protestant. We never came or never were a part of the Catholic Church and thus never came out of it. All Protestant churches must claim their founding was in the Catholic Church that then they tried to reform. I'm very thankful that we're not a part of a church that has tried to fix something that was broken, but that we can be a part of a church that we can say this, we, we have always believed this. We didn't lose it. We, we believe this. We've always believed this. This is the doctrinal truth that we hold and will always hold. That this is not a trendy thing or a new thing for us or a reformed thing for us. This is what our church has believed and historically what the church has believed. Okay? We also know this, there's a doctrinal distinction. A doctrinal distinction. <clears throat> there's obviously some major doctrinal differences between other churches. Okay? Uh, this isn't up on the screen there, but let me give it to you. The most notable through the years has been baptism. One author said it this way, baptism says all. Blank there is baptism. Now here's the thing. <clears throat> This isn't going on much in our day apart from the Catholic Church. But if you look back through the ages, 
the, one of the reasons why people started calling him the Anabaptist is because they would not accept uh, foreign or alien baptisms. Baptists are still the same way. They're, they're one of the only denominations, if you want to use that terminology, one of the only groups that will say, no, this is what the Bible teaches, and we're going to follow it this way. Uh, so when there were those who were in the Catholic Church who were sprinkling babies, the Baptist Church says, no, 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 that's not baptism. Baptism happens for somebody that's saved. It happens after they get saved, and it's by immersion. And so when they stood on that, unfortunately, there's a lot of them that were put to death and burned at the stake and all kinds of stuff that happened to them. And this is one of the doctrinal distinctions. If you want to, though, again, you can look at almost every other group that is out there and you're going to find either in their past or in their present doctrinal statement that doesn't line up with this book. And the reason it won't line up with this book is as much as they would hate to refute it, all of those churches came out of their mama, the Catholic Church, and they resemble her to one degree or another. There's no other way to really pinpoint that other than to say that. If you look at most of the other denominations, they resemble in some part the Catholic Church in one of their practices or doctrinal beliefs. So one author uh, said it this way, B.H. Casey said, Our division is not limited to the non-essentials. We are divided on the main issue, how we are saved. And we are very firm on that. We believe that salvation is by grace. Through faith is how a person is saved. We believe in scriptural baptism, and we believe in the distinctions that are laid out in the scripture of that. Okay. Now, uh, the third thing is this, a practical distinction. There are practical distinctions between Baptists and other groups. Our mode of operation, church government, and views about the individual before God... <clears throat> You ever uh, want to study a little bit about uh, our nation's history? You want to know how we became a uh, democratic republic? Uh, a lot of that is in thanks to the Baptists, who have always in their church governance practiced that. Just how we have our business meetings now is how they've always existed, where there's been a body rule, not a top-down rule. And, and so a lot of ways you can look, and there's some wonderful things to look at that. And that's a practical distinction. The church calls their pastor. We believe in pastor-led congregations, but we believe in congregational leadership. It just Again, there's some very distinct and interesting ways of mode of operation that are different. All right, number three, why do we use the name Baptist? So you say, well, if we've never, if we haven't always been called Baptist, why do we use the term Baptist? Well, first let me talk about again the negative of this, why people do not use the name Baptist. <clears throat> There's four objections that I've been able to find why people say, we don't use the name Baptist and here's why. Number one is this, churches weren't called Baptist churches in the New Testament. That's, I guess if you're going to come with an argument, that'd probably be the best one because it's maybe the most biblical one is they were just called the church at Corinth, right? The church at Ephesus. So I, I can understand if you want to have that objection to it. Um, and so number two, objection number two is this, denominations are abominations. They are only bad and therefore we do not want to be called Baptist. And there are those who want to be non-denominational. What's funny to me is non-denominational has become a denomination. 
Sorry, that's just humorous to me. What denomination are you? Oh, we're non-denominationalists. It's non-denominationalists. It's a denomination now. Say that ten times fast. But anyways, so that's a big objection a lot of people have is to say denominations are evil. Now, let's say along these lines, denominational ties can be dangerous. One of the reasons why I'll say this, I'm thankful we're what's called an independent Baptist, which means this, we don't, we don't have a board as far as a hierarchy above our, this church is self-governing. There's no one above this church that we answer to. It doesn't mean we're isolationist. Sometimes people think that's what it means to be independent Baptist. We're not over here and saying us four no more. We don't want to participate or be connected with any other churches. There's churches that we partner with to send missionaries and have fellowship with and do things with. And I believe that's healthy and right. And the biblical examples have been given of that. But it does also mean this. Uh, if that church goes crazy and does something different, that has nothing to do with us. Uh, what's going on with the Methodists? denomination right now is very on that they're having a major split southern baptists are having the same thing they're going on with them i'm thankful we're not tied in some denominational heads that way so in some regard i, I understand that objection as well objection number three is this some modern day liberal groups are using the name baptist i don't know as though this really is a big one that's out there but there's some that say hey there's some groups that are out there that are using the name baptist and they're not using it correctly I haven't really seen that, but that could be an objection that some maybe have. And then the fourth one is this. Why not just call them churches? Why do you need a distinction? Kind of going back to objection number one. Why do you need to call it a Baptist church? You could just be a church. Well, what's wrong with just calling it a church? It could just be a church. Well, here's the thing. In our modern day, there needs to be a distinction. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that use the name church that are not New Testament churches. The best way I know how to describe this is if you were to go into a pantry and look at canned foods in that pantry and every one of them were just the silver cans, label removed. Now, one thing is assured, if you opened a can of one of those things of food, there would probably be some type of food product inside of the can. Now, <laughs> if you're looking for something specific and all the labels are missing, that can be rather frustrating. But I'll tell you this, when my family goes on vacation, or if I weren't a pastor and we were moving somewhere, there's something about a distinction of being able to look at a church sign or go onto a church website, and it says, such and such, Baptist Church, that we can know, at least in part, that church holds certain distinctions and beliefs. I'm not going to reach in for a can of corn and get a can of peas. The name, if nothing else, does this. It distinguishes what the church's doctrinal stance is and where we stand on the Bible in a world where there's a lot of confusion about those issues in the world of church. Okay? It helps in that way as well. Same thing, maybe a little bit more drastic than food, because if you go for a can of corn and get a can of green beans, it's not a big deal. But maybe a different way to examine it, how tragic would that be in a medicine cabinet? for medicines to be unlabeled and all the pills to look alike. There's something about the importance of distinction to know, am I getting the proper medication or not? Because one could be life-draining and kill you, and one could be life-giving and allow you to survive and give you exactly what you need. It's very true in a Baptist as far as names and distinctions there. So why we do use the name Baptist? <clears throat> Let me give you these things and uh, we'll be close to done here. Why we do use the name Baptist? First was this, Baptist is a biblical and descriptive word used some 15 times in the Bible. Now again, no churches were called Baptist way back in the day, but 
the word John the Baptist and Baptist, Baptist, Baptist is used in the scriptures and it's always in a positive light and in positive connotation. Number two, Baptist is a distinctive and distinguishing term. As opposed to Church of Christ or Church of God, which are generic, Baptist is very specific and distinguishing exactly what it is. Okay, number three, <clears throat> there are historical reasons for using the name Baptist. We have a history that is written in red, but one never stained with the blood of others. This is maybe one of the most key reasons. You say, what are you talking about with that? You know, if you look through history, there has been a persecuted group throughout all of church history. The persecuted group has always been the group that believed that this was God's only authority and believed in salvation by grace and scriptural baptism. Every other group has been the one who has been persecuting those. We have a history, we say it this way, that is written in crimson red. I am so thankful there are individuals, mm, our Baptist forefathers, who said we would rather die than stop believing this book. We would rather die than allow you to tell people that salvation is in some water that you sprinkle on their head. We are not going to dip our colors. We are going to tell the truth of the Bible. Now listen, I, I for one am not one who wants to take that heritage and just flush it down the toilet. There's such a distinguished heritage there of the historical reason of the name. Number four, practical reasons. <clears throat> Labels mean something. And we've already talked about the food and kind of medicine thing on this. But if you're ever out at sea, it's thankful to have a flag that distinguishes what you are. I have never in my life seen an Olympic game where somebody uh, ended their sport or whatever and in shame and disgrace, you know, didn't want their country known and their flag to be displayed. Instead, usually with boastful pride, they represent their nation and they hold it up there and they say, I am under this banner. Listen, in many ways, flags help us identify. They, they help us distinguish from cheap products to the real thing from something that is subpar to the real and distinguished things. Labels identify the difference and help us be able to see that. And there's some practical reasons. Okay, So why call them Baptist distinctives? <clears throat> this is our last point here and we'll, we'll be done. Why call them Baptist distinctives? Well, first one is here. We're not a denomination, but rather a distinction. Now, we already said, in a sense, I understand this, it is a denominational tag. I understand that. I'm not trying to refute that in any way. But more important than a denomination, we're not trying to stay connected to a denomination as much as we are trying to stay connected to a distinction that we are distinct from other groups that are out there. A denomination is another type of the same, a different stripe or brand. Baptists are not just another of the same. A distinction is a clear difference and notable peculiarity that makes it unlike the others. Okay, number two is this. Truths held by people who believed and practiced these principles faithfully and made a distinguishing mark. And again, <clears throat> there is a history and a legacy of truth bearers and those that declared uh, the truth that span the ages. Okay. And then number three here. <clears throat> While there might be interdenominational community, Bible, and Protestant churches that have done some good things for the Lord, I'm not even going to try to refute that. Not, not even. Are there churches now that aren't Baptists that preach you can be saved by grace? Absolutely. I'm not trying to refute that at all. Okay? 
But we do understand this. Baptists have the most accurate doctrine and the history that goes back to the time of Christ that I, for one, don't want to let go. And so, as we get started into this series, what we're going to take a look at is what the Bible says and then why Baptists practice that and what makes us distinct or different from all the other groups that are out there. It'll wind up forming what's an acrostic, B-A-P-T, and each letter will spell out a distinction about what makes us different than other denominations, groups, churches that are out there. I'm very thankful for being a Baptist. Well, we're going to have a, a short invitation here tonight. I don't ever like ending a service without an invitation.